Well, if you are not heading downstairs, then I encourage you to go ahead and turn in your books and your Bibles to Isaiah. Some of you thought we're going to be in Hebrews because we only have one passage left. But no, we're going to stretch that series out one more week. So Hebrews, we will finish next, next Sunday. Uh, but today, we're going to be in Isaiah 65. The title is Your Kingdom Come. And we're going to be in here because we are. We're talking about sanctity of life. This is an issue, a topic that we try to talk about multiple times throughout the year. Many of you know back on January 23rd, we preached on sanctity of life. We actually had a town hall meeting in the month of February where we talked about faith and life and how does the gospel and our faith affect and inform the way we think and wrestle with the issue of abortion and now because uh, we're looking at partnering with Love Life and this Wednesday meeting downtown uh, to go and pray outside Planned Parenthood, we will once again be reminding ourselves just of this, this issue and how, how we respond to God's word. Uh, you know, I think, I think so many, uh, as we look in Washington, as Therese said, uh, thousands are aborted every, every year here, and we know that millions are aborted throughout the world every year, and we know that, that so many moms think that abortion is, is the answer for them. They think that abortion, uh, for a multitude of reasons, will, will make life easier or more manageable. Abortion promises to be a means of escape, uh, of shame, of guilt, and, and the reasons are complex and the reasons are many. But as Christians, we, we need to know and we need to remember what we've said here many times is that sin takes that which is beautiful and makes it uh, look ugly, and it takes that which is ugly, like abortion, and it makes it look beautiful as if it would be our hope, as if it would be our savior. Uh, sin is deceptive. It promises life, but in reality, it gives you that beautiful poisoned apple. And so as a church, uh, as Teresa has challenged us already, to, we can't be silent. We must not be silent. We, we have the answer. We, we know the gospel. The gospel is the answer. Men and women need to know that we are created in the image of God, and therefore every person born and unborn has immense value before God. And while abortion promises to cover up shame and guilt, we know that it does the opposite, it will only increase shame, it will only increase guilt, and many, many problems on top of that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope that overcomes shame and guilt. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what brings comfort and peace, and the gospel of Jesus is what this world needs to hear. And so, and if it's, if we're going to be effective in proclaiming it, and if the world is going to be uh, going to hear it, one thing we need to do is, is pray. Prayer is one of the primary means in which we trust in God to change hearts, which, which we've already emphasized today, we're going to be doing throughout the week, emphasizing on, on Wednesday particularly, and even tonight uh, during our prayer meeting, we're going to be focusing on this issue. So I encourage you to come back. Um, you are not going to reason people into the kingdom of God. You're not going to logically convince people why abortion is wrong and why they ought to choose life. That's God's business. And prayer is a means in which we trust in him to do that. So we must be praying for medical professionals who are a part of um, Planned Parenthood and other such organizations. We need to be praying for women who enter into these facilities. We need to pray for men. Men are so often the very ones convincing uh, the, the women in their lives to go and have an abortion. And we need to be praying uh, that, that their eyes would be open and that they would choose life. Uh, and we need to pray that God uses his eye-opening, heart-transforming power of the gospel that people would be saved. And that's, that's what we need to do on a daily basis basis. Uh, and so this coming Saturday is simply a means. It's not the end of the battle, but it's a means in which we can engage. It's a means in which we're asking uh, you to be a part and that we as a church can stand united in public proclaiming the gospel of Christ through prayer. Um, but I think one thing we need to be real, realize is if we're going to be praying that, 
that God changes lives, then we need to be prepared as a church to minister to those whom he does pray or who he does transform. And so we need to be praying for ourselves as well. We need to be praying that we'd be willing and ready uh, to come alongside men, to come alongside women, to come alongside these families and help them, uh, to counsel them, to help provide the needs that they have uh, for their babies. I mean, here's what you think. Isn't our God is amazing, isn't he? And the gospel that he has given us is powerful, it's transforming, it's unconquerable, and it's the hope that we have. And so this morning we're going to be in Isaiah 65, and, and I love this passage. It's, it's going to look at the new creation that Jesus is going to bring when he returns. We're going to be given an extravagant picture of what the world looks like without sin. Uh, do you remember Matthew 6? Matthew 6, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And so Jesus says, um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what does that look like for God's kingdom to be in fullness here on earth. And so we're going to be beholding the beauty and the joy of this new creation. And then at the very end, we're going to say, okay, so what does this mean? What does it mean that we have this hope and this promise of a perfect creation of immense joy where God is fully glorified? What does that mean for us today and now? And so our main point this morning is that we joyfully share the hope of the gospel as we await the new creation. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to stand. We stand at the reading of God's word. We do so because God's word comes to us inspired. It is inerrant. It is infallible is given to us so that we be equipped for every work that God calls us to do. So here we go, Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17, and we will go all the way to verse 25. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build houses and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall, de shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they, while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Let me pray. Our Father, Father, I just pray that as we behold this picture that you have given us of the kingdom of God in its absolute fullness, your glory poured out upon new creation, your presence with us at all times, and we being able to look into the radiance of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that as we see this picture, as we behold the future that you promise every single believer, may our hearts be encouraged, may our hearts be strengthened, may we grow in boldness, and may we live in light of the promise that you have given us. And may we freely, freely and radically give everything we have now because you have given us everything in Jesus. Lord, we thank you for this picture. Grow us now in our faith. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Uh, so what I want to do today is I just want to start and I just want to look at this picture I want to look at the picture of the new creation that God has given us, uh, so the hope of a glorious new creation. Uh, many of you know John 3.16. We can all probably, majority of us quote it 
word by word. It's probably the most popular verse in the Bible. Uh, you guys want to do it? You, got, you, you feel confident? All right, who wants to come up? No, I'm just, no everyone's like, <laughs> I don't know. All right, but we'll say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's pretty close. I might have heard a few these and thous in there from our KJV people, but that's okay. Um, I just want you to think about that. The life God gives us, this eternal life is not life apart from God, but life with God. Okay, I just want you to think of that. This is life with God. And, and this eternal life that we've been given is not going to be lived in a sin-infested world, but it's going to be in a place, in a new world, where God's glory abounds. In fact, we're told it's going to be so exquisite and so extravagant that in verse 17 it says, the former things won't be remembered. So in the new creation, what are the former things? The old creation. The things that have now been passed away. What we're told is that this new creation is so glorious, so, glorious, so radiant, so breathtaking that the things of this world will not be remembered. You might say, well, how is it even possible? Because in this new creation, it's a new world where God's glory will fill all of the world just as all the waters covers the sea. Everywhere we look, we will see God's glory unhindered, unfiltered, and unsuppressed. It will be in its radical power for every single person to see and behold. And so I just want to point out three glorious truths that are given to us in this new creation. And number one, there's perfect joy. There's perfect joy in the new creation. Look at verse 18. It says, this is God speaking. He says, he commands us. He says, be glad and rejoice forever. So he creates this new Jerusalem. He commands the creation and the people in it to forever be full of joy. And he says, I've created them to be joy and its people to have gladness. And then in verse 19, he says, I, so God himself, will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in his people. So we, the people of God, and God will share in his glory and his joy for all of eternity. As the sun warms the earth, so every single person will be warmed by the infinite glory of God at all times in the new creation. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the new creation, we are always at the right hand of God. We're always in the presence of God. So this is a place of maximum joy and inf maximum pleasure and infinite joy. That's the promise, that's what, he, that's what he gives us, that's the purpose behind the creation and behind the, the purpose of recreating you and I in the image of his son Jesus that would be at maximum joy at all times. And so we might say, well, well, how long does this last? Because you and I know that everything that's made here on earth always has an expiration date. In fact, we make things so they do break, so we have to buy more things. We're very, very aware of that. But look at verse 19. Look at what it says to us. It says, No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. The joy that is promised is everlasting. It's unceasing. It never, ever, ever ends. Never will there be a cause for weeping or sorrow, or pain, or tears. Like, not even a cause for it. This is why in Revelation 21, where we're also given a picture of the new heavens and new earth, this is what we read there. God himself says in 21 verse 4 of Revelation, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and get this, it says, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? For the former things have passed away. Same thing we have here in Isaiah 65. The old has gone, a new creation, maximum joy, infinite pleasure in God. And then in beginning in verse 20, he starts just describing what this looks like. Like, What does it mean that there's no cause for weeping? So he begins to, to list several things 
that would cause us to weep here. And he says, that will never exist again. And we're not going to look at everything here, but I want to bring out two things. Look at verse 20. This is where he begins. There'll be no more tears. Why? Verse 20, no more shall be in it an infant who lives but a few days. just, Just think about what that communicates. There will be no tragedy, no effects of sin, therefore no stillbirths, no sudden infant syndrome, and no abortions. Like There is a day that the war comes to an end on abortion. It will come to an end. It's not like, will it? And are we in an endless battle? Here on earth, we know that we'll continue to battle sin right up until the time Christ returns. But at that moment, all battles will cease. The abortion battle will forever be over because never, ever, ever will a child die. Just think about that joy that's promised there. Never again. Now look at verse 23. It says, They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. Again, no tragedy in this new creation. Thus, no effects of sin. Nothing that causes pain will exist in that world. Nothing. No death. Eternal Life with God is unceasing joy. Isn't that incredible? So, so there's, there's perfect joy, and we're just going to go through a few of these other things. There's also perfect communion with God. Perfect communion. Look at verse 24. Just think through this. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Our prayers will be perfectly aligned with the Father, and thus before we even speak, before we've gotten to the end of our sentence, they will be answered and it will be given to us. Everything you pray for, you will receive because your heart will be perfectly aligned with the Father, so everything you desire will be for the Father's glory, so everything you want, you will have. Can you even imagine that? Like right now, we know God answers every prayer, right? Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes it's not yet. We love when it's yes. But sometimes it's not yes. It's not yet or it's no. But in the new heavens and new earth, everything you desire or want, you will have because you will have not one impure thought or motive. Everything perfectly sanctified by the blood of Christ for his glory and for the love of others. Perfect communion with God. I mean, just imagine that. Right now, Paul tells us in Philippians, we're to have the mind of Christ. And in the new creation, we perfectly experience what that looks like. Every thought we have is pure and perfect. There's also perfect peace. Look at verse 25, perfect peace. I love, I love the pictures that we're given here in scripture, the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. Like, cause you can picture that, right? You're like, that doesn't work, but, but there it will. So the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food, recalling the curse of the serpent in Genesis 3. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now what we know is ever since creation, this world has been ravaged by, by war. Cain killed Abel. Lamech killed a guy in Genesis 4 for hitting him. Ukraine has been attacked by Russia. We've seen international wars all throughout this world, but we've also seen ever since creation, we've seen wars within families, within cities, within universities, within gangs, within tribes. We see fights and death in so many areas of this world. But when Jesus returns, he says he puts an end to all wars. In fact, earlier in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11, he talks about this. He actually talks about when Jesus will come, the root of Jesse. And he talks about when Jesus comes, what it will look like for his reign to be in the new creation. And this is what he says in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6 through 9. Same, same wording. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. 
and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. There shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Just think through the imagery that we've been given here. Lions and oxes, leopards and goats, bears and cows, wolves and lambs, and then cobras and children. Like I'm on board with all the other ones. I just don't know why in the new creation there would have to be snakes. So I'm thinking this is purely just imagery for us to understand, and surely there won't actually be snakes. But if there is, to God be the glory. But my children will still not play with snakes. No. Um, But I just think this through. There will be no war. So, So we got that, right? But there's no cause for war. So think through what that is. This means that there's no anger. There's no impatience. There's no hatred. There's no pride. There's no arrogance. There's no bitterness. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no disease. No suffering. No pain. No inequality. No racism. No political division. There'll be one politic, right? Jesus reigns. There'll be no murder, no abortion, everything that brings sorrow and grief forever gone. Forever. So not not only will there not be war, but nothing that leads up to war will exist in the new creation. Every person will live life to the fullest. Maximum joy, infinite pleasure at all times. No cancer, no Parkinson's, no Alzheimer's, no anything. Every heart will constantly always be filled and overflowing with God's infinite and all-satisfying fount of joy. That's the picture that he gives here. Disney World, Disneyland, and every other amusement park combined together will pale to the infinite joy that's offered here in the new creation. So this this is what we pray for when we're saying, your kingdom come. This is, this is what we're saying. Sorry. We want your kingdom, your rule, your glory made known here in this earth as it is in heaven right now. That's what we want. Your kingdom come. That's the promise. That's the hope. We're asking Jesus to come. We're asking him to bring forth his full glory and may it fill the earth unhindered, unfiltered, unsuppressed as all the waters cover the sea and the earth. That's what we're asking for. So I want to switch gears now. And say, so, okay, so that's, that's the hope, that's the promise that you and I have been given. That's the guarantee of every single believer that we will be in this new creation and that's our future with Jesus. So who, who does experience that? I want you to look at who will be in this new heavens and new earth. And so to do that, I want you to go actually Isaiah chapter 65. Now look at the first verse in that chapter. We didn't read this together, so we'll read it now. Verse one, he says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I to a nation that was not called by my name. So what's happening here? When he says, to a nation not called by my name, he's talking to people other than Israel. And all throughout the book of Isaiah, we're learning that God is creating a people not only from Israel, but from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every language, that they'll all be gathered around his throne. And we see the fullness of that in Revelation 7. But but right here, the prophet is telling us, he's making it clear that God is calling people from all nations. Isaiah 49.6 says this, it is too light a thing, it's too easy, it's too little that you should be my servant. Now ultimately referring to Jesus, to raise up the tribes of Jacob 
and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It's, it's too little to only save this one little people from this one little tribe or from the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Now, now why, why is this important? Because we need to be reminded that anyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life with God and live with him in the new glorious creation. And this is why Paul in Romans 10, 9 through 11, he says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. So I just want you to think about that for a moment. Everyone who believes in Jesus will be saved. Everyone who confesses Jesus. And so I think, I think it does force us just to say, have we believed in Jesus? And I know many of you have. But I also know in a room this size, there's many of you who haven't. And I also know, as we looked in Hebrews, that there are many who gather with the church at times who are here because their parents were Christians and they've gone through a lot of religious things, but they have not actually confessed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so the question is, is have you truly confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Do you know the hope of Jesus? Do you know him as your Savior and as your King? There's no other means of entering the kingdom. There's no other door. There's no other path. There's no other way. All other roads do not lead to Jesus. There's only one, or to heaven, there's only one path, and that is Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, if you are here and you've not yet trusted just what holds you back? What do, you, what do you hold on to that you say is more glorious, more beautiful, and more permanent than what God promises us in his word? What do you hold on to that you say, that's better than this? I just want to encourage you, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, to believe in him today. For everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. They'll experience forgiveness of sins. They'll be cleansed. They'll be sanctified adopted into the family of God, and given everlasting life and joy. So if we come back to Isaiah 65, and he says, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. Now just think about those words. What did they say about the heart of God? He loves to save. He loves to save those who are far from him. So many people think that their sins, their actions, their past have disqualified them from God. They think they're too far from God. They think that God wants nothing to do with them. I remember talking with one lady who had had abortion many years in the past, and she always, always struggled with understanding the love of God. She believed in Jesus, and yet she continued to come back and say, I just don't know how he would love me. I don't know why he would love me. And she struggled with actually believing in it, and believing that she was truly forgiven because the remembrance of her sin was so horrific in her mind, she continued to struggle with the promises of God. She thought she was too unclean. She thought that she was detestable before God. But, but I want you to think about the truth of these verses. Our God saves those who are far. Our God saves those who have not asked. Our God saves those who are not even looking for God. That's what it means. He said he's given his promises to Israel, right? Like all throughout, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Ten Commandments, his revealed will has been given to, to, to Israel and the 12 tribes. But what he says is, in Isaiah, I was ready to be sought by those who didn't ask me, those who don't even know me, those who aren't even looking for me. Those who are far from me. I mean, just think about what this looks like. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he was Jew, but, but he still fits in the category. He was a murderer. He hated Jesus. He hated Christians. He's on the road to go to Damascus to torture Christians, to arrest them and kill them and to defame the name of Jesus. And, and yet, on that road, when he's not looking for God, he's not asking for God, 
That did not prevent God's grace from knocking him off his high horse, literally, and saving him in that moment. I mean, in the moment of his hatred, of his anger, God, by his grace, turns him inside out. He gives him, he exchanges his heart of stone for a heart of flesh. He becomes a new creation. He experienced the unconquerable grace of God. Those who have not asked, those who are not seeking, God can still save. I just want you to think about what that looks like. A woman on her way into Planned Parenthood. Not looking for God, not asking for God. A doctor performing abortions, not looking for God, not asking for God. But as we pray, as we trust that God's grace changes hearts, changes lives, as we begin sharing the gospel and praying that God begins changing the very hearts of these people, when they're not even looking, his grace, which is powerful, life-changing, eye-opening, heart-transforming, and unconquerable, can come upon them in a moment and draw them to him, on the, and they would come to him on, his, on their knees. Isn't that incredible? That's what we have here. gospel of Jesus has the power to save. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's gospel has the power to give life? I think we do, and I think we struggle with that also at the same time. I think if we didn't struggle with it, we'd share it more and see more people saved probably. But I think, I think we get caught up in things. We, we get scared. We, we, we get thinking about our reputation, we think about the things we have, we think about what the cost will be. And so there's times we hold back the gospel rather than give it freely. But I just want to remind us, our gospel of Jesus saves. It has the power, and it doesn't depend upon your ability to speak it. It doesn't depend upon your eloquence. It doesn't depend upon your articulation. It depends upon the grace of God. He just asks that we are his instruments that share it, and he is the one who changes. And so I just, I just want us to now think, okay, so we have this new creation that God promises everyone who believes in him, and we see that anyone who trusts in him will be saved and inherit these promises, whether they're far or near, no matter what their past is, what their sin is, if they trust in Jesus, they receive these promises. They have peace with God and experience the peace and maximum joy of God. So what is our response to that then now? I think through what is that meant to do to the church when we hear these promises? Do we just go, wow, that's great? We look forward to it and we, we keep it a secret? Or how is that supposed to work in us? So what is the church's response to the guarantee of a new creation with God. So I want you to think original context here. So, so we got Isaiah, and he's, he's preaching to the people of Israel. The majority of them are not listening, but where, where is Israel all about to go? The northern kingdom is going to be defeated by Assyria in 722, and they're going to be going into exile. The southern kingdom in 586, they'll be going to exile by Babylon. So they're about to be a people under, in a foreign place under foreign rule. And Isaiah says, but there is hope. This foreign rule, this foreign place is not your eternal home. There's a better place coming. And he gives them these promises. He gives them this vision. So what is this vision meant to do to a people who live in a foreign place under a foreign rule? Is it meant to depress them? Oh, man. No. It's meant to give them hope. It's meant to strengthen their faith. It's meant to cause them that even in a place, in an ungodly place, ruled by an ungodly king, that they would live faithfully to their God. And so in the same thing, I want you to think, where is the church today? Where is the church today? Are we not on foreign soil, under foreign rule? Is that not who the church is, which is why Paul says we're ambassadors here. We're aliens and strangers here. Peter says we're exiles here. Paul reminds us our citizenship is in heaven. So we are aliens and strangers and sojourners here on earth. So 
This vision here in Isaiah 65, the vision we're given in Revelation 21 and 22 and other parts of Scripture that tell us of the hope that we have is meant to strengthen us. It's meant to increase our joy now so that we would live faithfully to God in the present. And we could say, so what, is, what does it look like then to live faithfully to God right now? What would that be? And we could, we could look at many commands. We could look at many areas. I just want to, want to remind us of one. Matthew 28, 18. And we know this one. It's on our bulletins. It's what we say every single week. It's our mission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's what we do. If we're going to live faithful to God in foreign soil, under foreign rule, in the hope of a perfect creation with God, we make disciples. We go. We share the hope of the gospel with everyone we can. We share with neighbors. We share with friends. We share with family. We share the gospel with outcasts. We share the gospel with those who feel as though they're marked with shame and guilt. We, feel, we share the gospel with those who have made decisions Make them feel as if no one wants them in this world, least of all God. What do you think? Is this not why James, in his letter, James 127, many of you know this, where he says, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep one's unself unstained from the world. Or, or think about Proverbs 31.8, where we, we read this, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. The gospel calls us to go into the world with the gospel and share the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not for social elites. In fact, we see that in Isaiah, it's open to everyone who comes. In fact, in Isaiah 66, so not 65, but 66, the next chapter, if you look at verse 2, God says, this is who I look to. This is who receives my blessing. These are the people who will be on my holy mountain. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter where you come from. It matters, do you believe in God and do you trust in him? Do you obey his word? We're to do acts of kindness and share the truth of the gospel with all people, but especially to those who are hurting, especially to those who are afflicted, especially those who feel hopeless and helpless, and helpless those who have no voice. And we could, we could talk about a lot of categories of people that that could fit. But today we're just focusing kind of on one area, the issue around abortion. Particularly mothers, particularly the unborn child within them. In fact, we have several people in our church that they, they work or volunteer at local pregnancy care centers. And one of the things that they have said is that majority of women that come in to their clinics, that they're scared and they're hurting, they're battling an immense amount of lies in their head, and majority of them, if not every single one of them, never thought they'd be in a clinic where they're deciding to take the life of the child within them. Never did they think they would be there. But life is hard. You know that. We, we, we see, we live in the effects of sin. And there are some people that those effects, those things, the way it's all intertwined, intertangled with them, it's leading them to think that abortion just might be the answer. Abortion will be the thing that, that brings their life back to some type of normalcy. Abortion will be the thing that will mean they can provide food for their other children. Abortion will be the means in which they get to stay with a man who promises his allegiance only if he, they abort the child they have. And so again, the, the reasons for abortions are many and complex. We don't go to judge why they are there, but we go with the answer. And the answer is the gospel. And so there's at least four things they need from us. And when I say they, I'm just talking about everyone within the, the, the abortion world, so whether the men convincing the women, whether it's the women, whether it's the child within them, or the medical professionals. Um, number one, they need to know the love of God through the people of God. They need to know the love of God. They need to hear the voice of hope, and they need to experience the hands of compassion. 
They need to see that. And so there are some people like here who are actually volunteering in pregnancy care centers on a daily basis, uh, and they're right on the front lines on a regular way. And there are many, many ways this can look. One way is by going and Love Life offers not only to prayer, to partner with them in prayer, but then then do other things as well as how do we come alongside and show love to those who are thinking that there is no other option. They need to know that there is a people, the church, who will support them and encourage them. Moms need to know that because if they choose life, everything looks dark, everything looks scary. There is no hope for them. So we need to help them see there is hope. We need to be that people that's with them because we know the ultimate answer of the hope that Christ gives so the first thing we need to do is just come alongside, and this is costly. And I think sometimes that's a reason we're not more engaged. And that could be said on a multitude of platforms regarding so many topics. We know it's going to cost our time. And we say, well, I only have so much time. It's going to cost our, our money or or possessions or treasures, whatever that might be. And we go, but I have other things I want to do. I have other things that are important to me. And it will be an emotional cost too. There is joy, there is sorrow working. Uh, Carolyn is a lady in our church who she regularly sends emails and texts of, of amazing things that are happening in Options Pregnancy Care Center. And it's awesome to hear, but there's also great, great sorrow that's experienced. And so for a multitude of reasons, we, we look at the cost and we go, that's pretty high. And sometimes I think we get a little bit scared, but I want to remind you of the picture we have in Isaiah 65. And that we're given in Revelation 21 and 22 of this new creation. We are promised infinite joy, maximum pleasure, unending joy. We're promised that we'll sit with Jesus on his throne, sharing in his rule, in his power, in his glory for all of eternity. Romans 8 says we are co-heirs with Christ. It means everything he has, he shares with us. With that, that's just mind-blowing in itself, isn't it? All that the infinite God has, he shares with, with you and me, like puny little creations. And he shares it with us because we're made in his image. So, so he gives us everything. And he does that so now in the present, we can freely give everything now because we're promised everything with God. And I think we just have to be reminded of that on a daily basis. We have to be reminded that everything on earth, all the treasures, all the things that we have, our own health, will one day pass away. They don't last, but there are things that do last, and it's the names of everyone who is written in the book of life and who believe in Jesus Christ. And so we can leverage everything we have. We can risk everything, which you got to really wonder, is it really risking everything if we know it was never meant to last anyway and we already have everything in the new creation? Is it really a risk? We could argue. But we can risk everything we have now. We can leverage it all because we know it's not meant for our eternal joy because we already have that in Christ. So we can now use all the things that we have as a means of communicating the gospel to others. And a place to do that is regarding men and women and the unborn child around abortion. So number one, they need to know the love of God. Number two, they need to know the power of the gospel. Now this, of course, we could have said first, everyone needs to know the power of the gospel. The, the only reason I didn't say this one first, that they need to actually hear the truth of the gospel, is because those who are experiencing great pain, great affliction, oftentimes need to feel the love of God before they hear the words of God. Oftentimes they just need to hear it. They're so deaf to everything at this moment because of so much pain that they're in, so much affliction that they're in, that they just need to begin feeling the arms of God's people wrapped around them. And as that happens, then we share the truth and the hope of the gospel with them. And we must give it to them. Because anything else we do will fall short 
of bringing life change to them. They need to hear the true power of the gospel. This is why everyone that walks into like options pregnancy care clinic or, or care net, they seek to strive to share the gospel with every single person that comes in. And some receive and some don't, but they share the gospel with everyone, planting seeds, trusting that God gives growth. Number three, they need to know the promises of God. They need to know that God will forgive them. They need to know the power of that forgiveness. They need to know that in Christ there is, there is cleansing. That there is no more shame. There's no more guilt. They need to know that God hears them. They need to know that God promises to be with them. They need to know that God will give them strength each and every single day. They need to know the promise of a new creation. That whatever life looks like on this earth, all that pain will one day come to an end. And we will enter into maximum joy with God. So they need to know the promises of God. And lastly, um, they need the church to be in prayer. And this is kind of where we started, and this is now kind of where we're ending. We, we need to speak the truth of the gospel. We need to demonstrate the love of the gospel with our hands, by the giving of our very things away. We need to communicate the, the, the hope of the gospel, the promises of the gospel. But the only way any of that's all going to be effective is, is by coming to God in prayer and trusting that he does what he promises to do. Because he's the one who saves. And you and I, the good news is it doesn't depend on you and me. Isn't that good? Like that's the freeing part of the gospel. He just says, you're my instrument. You just have to go and open your mouth and use your hands and, and share stuff. And he does the changing. I love that deal. Because if we do that, we just trust he's faithful and he will do it in his timing. Which is not our timing, which we always have to be reminded of that. Always, always need to be reminded of that. This is, this is why we do prayer, prayer meeting. And I want to encourage you, come tonight. We're praying about several things. If you haven't come to prayer meeting, what we do is we, we, we come together in prayer and we pray corporately over certain topics together at the same time. So it's not kind of like a free-for-all where we just bring the, the million and one prayer requests we have. That's what we do in table groups and other ways. But at a prayer meeting, we gather and we, we're focusing our prayer in certain areas. And one of the things we're going to do tonight is just pray. Pray for the unborn child. Pray, pray for mothers. Pray for men. Pray for professionals, medical professionals in Planned Parenthood. And pray that we as a church would be ready to serve and be used wherever it is that God would have us. So I encourage you, come to prayer. You probably have heard, well, I don't know, maybe you've heard it. If you've been around Christian life or Christian church world too long, you've probably heard the saying, you know, this person is too heavenly minded for any earthly good. Have you heard that before? Some of you are nodding. Some of you are like, I've never, I don't even know what you're talking about. Um, too heavenly minded minded for any earthly good. Um, I smile now because I know what my wife's going to do. That is a dumb, stupid, unbiblical, ignorant, and heretical thought. So I'm not supposed to say stupid, so she'll later say, like, you weren't supposed to say stupid. But she knows some things are stupid, and we just have to say it. <laughs> right, honey? Um, <laughs> brave or dumb, I don't know, Raymond, I don't know. Um, it's just not true, biblically. I'll just, I'll just give you a couple points. Paul, your citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. In uh, Luke 18, the disciples say, we gave everything for you, Jesus, and this is how he responds. No one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. What is a motivation for coming to God? He says, I'll give you everything. Whatever you lose here, don't worry. I give you everything in me. Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't store up treasures on earth, where do we store them up? Heaven, which means where do we, what are we supposed to be thinking of? Heaven. Matthew 6, Lord's Prayer. What is it we're supposed to pray? Your kingdom come. What does that mean? Your heavenly rule here now. Bring forth your new creation. The problem's not that we're too heavenly minded. 
The problem is we get too earthly minded and we get distracted by the things that we're supposed to do. And, and I, I just said, I think that's what we do. And I say that as we, the church, that's one reason we need table groups. We need to be constantly with each other, encouraging each other. How are we living? What are we living for? That's why we have Isaiah 65. One of the reasons. Remember heaven. You've been given everything in Christ. Everything in Christ. Whatever we lose here on earth, we never really had to begin with. And we can give it all away for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the unborn child, that they would have life, for the sake of moms, that they would choose life and hear the gospel, for the sake of men who are counseling their, their spouses, partners, wives, however they classify them, they would hear the gospel and believe in Jesus. We can risk our reputations. We can risk everything. Because in Christ, we have everything. So, so let us not think that we can ever be too heavenly minded. Let us regularly be reminded of the truth that awaits us, that we have now and the, the future that awaits us. And let us boldly share the gospel at all times. So this Saturday, I want to encourage you to join us. 9 a.m., uh, I think, Raymond, where is that? Is it on the website or do they have a bullet? It's, it's in the flyers. All the information is in there that you need. Um, join us downtown before 9, she said, so don't show up at 9. We'll write your name down if you show up at 9. So be there before 9. And we're just going to pray. We're going to pray for the medical professionals. We're going to pray for moms. We're going to pray for men. We're going to pray for just the entire situation, for the unborn child. We're going to pray for ourselves. We're going to pray that God will be glorified. And let's just stand back and then just see what God does. Because his, his gospel is glorious and unconquerable. So let's pray as we partake of communion this morning. Father, Father, we thank you for the future that you have given us. Lord, you forgive us now. You give us your spirit now. You give us your promises now. And yet we know that there is a future coming in which we will experience your presence, your joy, in absolute fullness. May we never ever forget that truth. May we remember that that day is coming. And may we live in light of the maximum joy and infinite pleasure that you have promised us in Jesus. And may we be willing and ready to give everything away now in the present. Because your son Jesus has given everything away so that we could have life. And may we never forget that truth. So as we come now and we partake of communion, remember the gospel May we remember that your son left heaven and came to earth, was forsaken, was crucified, was beaten, and killed so that we who believe him would have everlasting life. And may we now follow in the footsteps of our Savior and live as he did so that by any means possible, whether by our breath or by our death, God would be glorified and people would be saved. In your name, Jesus, amen.